What's up, lifters? Welcome back to another episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Last week was so much fun because my sister was back. Alessia was back from Miami for a week. We loved having her. Um, uh, My mom was on the podcast last week. Uh, Sophia, my cousin, who's been on a couple of the podcasts as a guest star, has been on the podcast, was on it last week as well. Um, I was on it for a brief period, but Alessia and Sophia really took the crux of it and really made it an incredible episode. So we thank them for their incredible thoughts. Um, It was definitely a rant, (laughs) um, especially if you caught the beginning of that. Uh, but it was it, it was what needed to be said. Uh, we really, really put our thoughts and all of our good vibes out to the people who are dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. It was a tragedy. Um, I do have family in Florida right now. Thankfully, they are very, very safe, and we're very grateful for that. Um, but definitely going to try to find some sort of fundraiser or something, especially for... Uh, Some of the islands that were hit, one of the islands was Sanibel Island that we actually vacationed on this week, this uh, summer. And uh, we were fortunate enough to see it before everything kind of happened. So we're really putting our, just our greatest thoughts to them. And we hope for a very fast recovery. Um, If you know any GoFundMes or know any charities or know anything that we can help support everyone down there, please let me know and uh, comment or message us on Instagram. Okay. Oh boy. (laughs) I'm really, really scared to do this topic, but, um, what's really this, this show and doing this show, I've never been more uncomfortable talking about an opinion that I have and talking about something than I do right now. And it's been really hard to make this script. It's been really hard to muster up the courage and give this um, topic the light that needs to be shed on it that I think it does from my point of view, Um, which is really important. Everybody's POV is super, super vital. And that's the whole point of this show is to make sure that everyone's POVs are heard. This is mine. And um, we're sticking with the lifting beginnings kind of theme, but we're diving into a really hot button topic. And if you read the title, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, we are talking about white privilege and it's a lot. (laughs) So I'm going to start with facts because facts make me feel really, really cozy and make me feel like I'm not an idiot just spitting uh, my opinions at you. So I'm going to start there before we get too far into it. Um, Okay, start. We're going to start with a definition by Merriman Webster Dictionary. The set of social and economic advantages that white people have by virtue of their race in a culture, in a culture characterized by racial inequity. So I want to focus today on what being white really means and how that definition has changed over time. Because believe it or not, it is not something that is simply judged by your skin tone. Um, I had a really enlightening conversation with someone who actually deals with racial inequity and that's like their their, um, bread and butter of what they do. And they're 
they educate those of all races, all um, ethnicities, what race is, what all of that means, um, especially in the social context of what we deal with with the polarized society that we have today. Um, And they said something really interesting that I really want to share with you guys. Um, They used racism as an adjective and not a noun. So a person not necessarily is a racist. Like, that's not their title. Rather, they support the actions that are racist. And I thought that that perspective shift for me was so important because I've never heard it that way. Um, And it made the conversation that we're about to have a lot easier to digest. Um, So yeah, I just want to say that. And um, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting conversation that we have moving forward. I also want to focus on this idea of our culture, everyone's culture, this like this socially conditioned culture of racism versus ethnicity and all of this stuff being so laser focused on racial inequality. What components should we really focus on and what components are actually harming the rhetoric and harming um every race, every ethnicity, and um, really doing damage to everybody, which we'll get to. So attached to that definition is interesting. On the website, there's a quote by, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, Mahak, M-E-H-A-K, Anwar, who, he's a news writer for Elite Daily, and his quote is, by discussing the reality of white privilege, We're not negating or invalidating other hardships that may come with individuals' circumstances. Rather, we intend to shed light on the reality that white people are granted rights, whether they're subtle or obvious, immunities and opportunities by their skin color, regardless of whether they asked for that privilege or not, end quote. That's a lot to digest. So I'm going to be talking a lot today about language and who's creating this language? Why is this something about this word, something about this phrase really triggers me. Um, it doesn't sit well with me. And I'm going to probably tell you that nine out of 10 people would automatically say the same thing. Um, because there's this, that word privilege, I associate it in my past as something really negative. And it is a kind of negative, but he's saying that it's not negative. So, you know, you have to kind of like listen to that pain in your stomach that you get when you hear a word, because that means something. That pain's not just there for no reason. It's the same kind of pain that a person of color, when they hear something derogatory or really hurtful, it's that same pain. And I'm sure it's even tenfold because of the, um, the magnitude that it's been kind of brought to in history but for me it's a little pang and it it doesn't feel good it feels uncomfortable and I don't like this word I don't like being associated with it but I also don't like that it exists period I don't like this this phrase um and I think after doing a little bit of searching I think it's because I don't like that like literally white people created this word almost to be like well, we're privileged, you know, we're fine, like, we're fine, like, we're good. And that, that's not 
it. Like there are moments when I'm not good and there's a reason why this this word makes me feel gross and we have to acknowledge that too and you can't just say that I'm privileged. We'll get we'll get into the layers of this, but I'm just saying that that that's something that I'm affected by it. Um so that being said, someone has to appreciate the fact that it, it basically, what it feels like to me, it makes me feel like a villain by default, automatically. And this POV is not one that is listened to because it's simply not talked about. It is swept under the rug, if you will. The message is this. We have to appreciate you for what you are, who you are, but you can't appreciate me automatically because I'm white and I have this privilege and I have to earn your trust. But you don't have to earn mine. It seems backwards for an all-inclusive goal. And we need to stop pointing fingers and just lean into all-around acceptance. I think that's the goal. The human rights aspect of things. The overall acceptance blanket statements can't work anymore. Um, you just calling me someone with white privilege because I my skin color kind of totally contradicts the intended rhetoric of acceptance, the intended goal of acceptance. Um, We need to stop creating phrases that point fingers is basically what I'm saying. So I decided, I decided because I was so heated about this, I wanted to lean into the opposite side of my, um, where I tend to lean and I tended to lean to the left so I just, I, or I tend to lean to the right. So I decided to tend to lean to the left to start because I really wanted to open my mind to the other side of this before I fell into my own self-righteous rabbit hole of how this phrase makes me feel. So we're starting today with an article from learningforjustice.org magazine. It's an article entitled, What is White Privilege Really? It's by Corey Collins and was published in fall 2019. So pre-pandemic and pre-BLM movement, a very raw, matter-of-fact look on what this phrase was intended for. Um, I'm going to start with a quote. For many, white privilege has or was an invisible force that white people needed to recognize. It was being able to walk into a store and find that the main displays of shampoo and pantyhose were catered toward your hair and type and skin tone. It was being able to turn on television and see people of your race widely represented. We've forgotten what white privilege really means, which is all of this all at once. And if we stand behind that belief that recognizing white privilege is integral to the anti-bias work of white educators, we must offer a broader recognition, a recognition that does not silence the voices of those most affected by white privilege, a recognition that does not ignore where it comes from and why it has staying power. So um, when you when when words and phrases were first designed, um, like the N word, it was first designed to partition and segregate and but the intention was no 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 we just that's just what they're called like that's just who they are so we have to label it that way um it's a box they fit this box and they fit this phrase so we're running with it 
Um, it doesn't matter what it's intended for. It creates these feelings for this race and this ethnicity. So we got to stop saying it. <laughs> I think white privilege, it goes both ways. We need to stop saying it. We need to create um, better language because it's creating hostility. It's creating um, sick stomachs. It's creating um, a lot of just fuel for more partition. And I don't want that. Um, so I think we need to work on the language a little bit more. And this is um, the same author. He has more quotes. Having white privilege and recognizing it is not racist. But white privilege exists because of historic, enduring racism and biases. Therefore, defining white privilege also requires finding work definitions of racism and bias. Again, he's saying the intentions are white privilege does not mean that you are automatically racist. However, it's you have to listen to me as a person that is white. I am telling you that it's making me feel uncomfortable. That should be enough to delete and cancel this phrase and come up with something more accepting. Um, that should be it. And if we're really, really trying to strive for equity, that should be a conversation and it's not ridiculous. Um, just because the intention is not for us to be villainized doesn't mean it doesn't make us feel uh, villainized and like fingers are pointed at us, like we're the problem um, because we're all the problem. That's that's clear. Everyone from every ethnicity has um, put their toe into the problem. And I think predominantly white males, sure, we can, we can talk about that for days and days and days, but um, putting us all in this blanket statement, one bucket is not, it's going to make the problem worse. It's not going to make it better. Um, so the two word, I'm going to keep going with the quotes. The two word term packs a double whammy that inspires pushback. And this is what we're talking about. The word white creates discomfort among those who are not used to being defined or described by their race. And two, the word privilege, especially for poor and rural white people, sounds like a word that doesn't belong to them like a word that suggests they have never struggled. This defensiveness derails the conversation, which means, unfortunately, that defining white privilege must often begin with defining what it's not. Um, what it's not, white privilege is not the suggestion that white people have never struggled. Many white people do not enjoy the privileges that come with relative affluence, such as food security. Many do not experience the privileges that come with access, such as nearby hospitals. And white privilege is not the assumption that everything a white person has accomplished is unearned. Most white people who have reached a high level of success worked extremely hard to get there. Instead, white privilege should be viewed as built-in advantage, separate from one's level of income or effort. Beautifully put. End quote beautifully put. I love that. However, <laughs> it's broken because the words still hurt me. Those words still do damage. And I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have to say that beautiful paragraph. You should just tell me that. And there should be this um, mutual respect and this built trust that we build together um, without that term ever coming up. 
and I should be expected to never use derogatory terms and you should never be expected to use derogatory terms, even though they're not in, in, you know, even though they're not intended to be that way, that's what they come off as because those words trigger me and that's it. Like, don't use that in your vernacular when you are talking to me. Um, so yeah, um, you could say it's not, you could say it's not designed to be hurtful all you want, but that language is very hurtful and that's my right to say as the person that is receiving the language and how it's being used by others. That's the other thing. They, a lot of people will weaponize the language. Um, so I'm going to go into the next article. It really piggybacks off of uh, that narrative of how the label can just be as damaging and feed into bigger issues. It's entitled Rethinking How We Label White Privilege, and it's from Newsmax by Paul F. Uh, DeLampinus in November 16, 2021. So this is post-pandemic, BLM, um, post all that good stuff. I share, this is a quote, I share the desire to combat the lingering consequences of America's original sin, but I fear that this rhetoric, rhetorical strategy is counterproductive. The privilege enjoyed by the white population includes things like having to worry less about arbitrary treatment by the police or being regarded with suspicion when going into stores. But this privilege of white population, but this privilege of white population is not a problem requiring a solution. Nobody should be treated arbitrarily by the police or by anybody else. The real problem, this is a continuing quote, the real problem is that members of minorities have too little of this privilege. They do have to worry about unfair treatment by the police and other people. The more accurate way to speak would therefore be to call this problem minority underprivilege. No one wants to be pulled down. So he's going back. This is an end quote. He's going back to the language. He's really reeling it in. And he's, he's feeling that uncomfortable thing in his stomach that I'm talking about. He's a person that believes in human rights, believes in the just the human rights aspect of this racial issue and this ethnic issue um, that a lot of people believe in, nine out of 10 people believe in. But creating this rhetoric is not going to fix anything. Creating this nasty blanket statement language is going to do nothing. Um, but then, you know, he's trying to coin minority underprivilege. Is that going to cause, you know, words and uh, diction and all of this is a really, really, really complicated and interesting part of politics that and history that I really um, enjoyed learning about this week because, or the last month, because I've been working on the script for a month, um, because it's so, it's become so sensitive. The world, you can't escape it. It's become so sensitive. And you hate to be that person to be like, mm, I don't feel good about that word. Like you hate to be the person to raise your hand and say that. But you're like, you know what, if you're going with this and we're trying to really be equitable, I have to say that this word makes you feel uncomfortable. And you should be able to say that, you know, that's the whole point of all of this, right? Um, I'm going to continue his quotes because I have two more from him that are amazing. 
Critics accuse reformers who talk about white privilege of trying to make white, priv- white people ashamed of being white. Terminology like white privilege can lend itself to this interpretation, whether it is intended or not. This kind of talk is therefore unlikely to produce the political consequences desi- desired by reformers. No one can control what their race is. Shame about one's race or pride in it are therefore equally crazy. But shame is psychologically demoralizing. Reformers might do better to focus on eliminating underprivilege rather than complaining about white privilege. It's crass. That ends the end quote. It's crass, but it's um, direct and to the point. And quite frankly, he's putting, shedding the light not back on the people who are using this, these words. He's shedding the light on the reformers that originally created this terminology. And I think that's what I'm really getting at is... If you are a person of importance, use that wisely and really think about um, a lot of people in who are white have you, just if you're in a middle class, higher middle class or lower middle class, you are privileged. You you're just you're here and that's it. Like you didn't have to do anything to get here. That's what privilege means to us. It's very condescending. Um, it's very, like, it doesn't make you feel good. It makes you feel like, okay, like, I worked really hard to get here, but somehow, uh, because of my color, like, I'm just here, and people just think I just got here because of who I am. Maybe it's part of it, and let's have a conversation. Like, I want to do something to make sure that you, your underprivileged gets taken away. That's a whole different conversation. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> um, here's the deal. I'm going to get real. If we're really trying to preach equality, let's look at it through the simple lens. Everyone is born into the world, no matter their skin color or ethnic group. That means that everyone should have an equal opportunity to be whatever kind of person they want to be. We can't keep walking on eggshells, guys, because we're afraid to call one race over the other, a bad person. If they're doing something shitty, guess what? They're doing something shitty. And if this world were really concerned about equity and that was the true message, then it's our duty to tell that person, hey, you're doing something shitty. White, black, or purple. Some, same goes if it's a person doing something awesome. Give that person kudos. We shouldn't be afraid to call someone out or praise them based on their race or culture. But we have these unconscious biases and this social conditioning of social norms that kind of steer us away from that. And we mentally say, okay, I have to think about what terminology to use. And um, I don't want to be called a racist today, but this lady is acting really nasty to me. No, intolerable behavior is intolerable behavior, period. We need to sit our kids down and have these conversations too. It starts with the kids. <laughs> That's why we started the segment um, through young eyes because it starts with them and what they're digesting. They, whatever kid of different race or culture, kid in, or different race that the kid encounters, whatever, came into this world the same way that you came into this world. Tell us to your kids. You need to be kind to everyone. No matter what they look like, you need to expect that same kindness back as long as you are being treated the way you want to be treated. 
kindergarten, guys, the golden rule. I learned it in kindergarten, and now somehow it's morphed into only applying to a very specific population under very PC circumstances. Um, Shouldn't be a thing. If we're really going for equity, that shouldn't be a thing. Once we change that narrative and have those important conversations with each other and our children, it's not only... It not only tells people and children to be kind, but it also helps people realize and see and kids are able to see modeling and build healthy relationships and set healthy boundaries from a very young age. Um, and also no one deserves an award for having black friends. I hear that a lot from kids. Well, did you know, especially living on the side of town I live in, well, did you know I also have a black friend? Like, they can get a gold star every time they get a black friend. No, they're not for collection. Like, what are parents teaching their kids? And I've seen it, too, where kids, where parents are just like, good job, honey. Like, that's amazing. You're really... And they're usually, guys, they're from the left side of things. I'm so grateful that she's so um, just open and everything. Like, I'm just so grateful for that. And I'm just kind of like, it's a friend. Like, is she a good person? Is she... Is this person like a great addition to your life? Like what does she add to your life? Usually they're like six, these children. And yeah, no, it's not something, it should be being said this. It, it's so important to take that opportunity as an adult to redirect. And it doesn't matter who they are, what color they are, where they come from. As long as you're all kind to one another, friends are great to have around. And they are more than welcome to be here whoever they are. Just, they have to have respect and they have to have kindness. They have to have that, they have to know how to build healthy relationships with every race and ethnicity and gender and all that stuff that's coming into play now. It's part of the world. Parents and teachers need to change the narrative because future generations are in trouble. We may just go backwards. We'll talk about that next week when we or in the following week, because I don't know if I could do another one of these, um, when we dive into how children learn about segregation and white privilege in school, because that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, guys, this was like, this was a really hard episode for me to, to, uh, to write. It's just so, um, how divisive we've become, and how our politicians, our moderators, our reformers are the ones leading it. Who are these people? Um, I think season three is going to be a lot about origin stories with people. Who started it? <laughs> who done it? Like, who are these people making these reformations? Are they white or are they black? Are they um, liberal? Are they Republican? Uh, do they have a history of abuse or do they have like, is their family like a member of the KKK or something? Like those are important things to know about your authors, right? It's important to know who's feeding you this information, who's creating this rhetoric, who is designing and making this playbook. Because if you know that, that tells you a lot about, okay, maybe I should think twice before I listen to this person or say the things that they're saying are okay. Um, Which we'll get to next season. I'm so excited. I decided this after I wrote this script because there's just so much 
yeah. Um, so, in conclusion, harsh language is causing really aggressive and harmful narrative for every single race, including white people, believe it or not. And it's something that I've, I've held on to, and I this is a safe space for me. This podcast has served as a really safe space. And so I hope you all give me all your feedback. And I hope, I'm hoping to actually get someone from the um, racism awareness foundation that I actually found. The educa- they, they focus on educating about racism and they focus a lot on facts and not just one side of things. They actually focus on just all around education uh, to appreciate the history, digest the history, and uh, consider things from every side of things. And that's what we do on this podcast. So I would really, I'm going to lobby to have an educator on here and talk a little bit about that with them. My cousin Sophia is an educator. She works right now in between school districts as a sub, and she works at the city school district, which is... um is definitely very diverse and she's going to have a lot of opinions and I can't wait to pick her brain on firsthand experiences because we're going to dive into that in a couple weeks about what kids are learning in history class about this stuff. And I can throw in some cool facts that I learned from my seminar today, which is really eye-opening and helped me be really, really pumped to make this podcast today. Um, So please like, comment, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and Anchor. So thank you all for your patronage, and we hope to see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.